Hey, just a heads up that the following content may be disturbing or triggering for some listeners and is not appropriate for children. Please take care of yourself and others who may be listening with you. Welcome to the Bonus Babies Podcast, a show that has no easy answers, only hard questions. And so I'd say, like, it's it's not your fault. Continue to follow what you love. Follow the things that bring you joy. Keep going. You're strong. Crazy strong. Can you tell me what you call the kids who you've cared for over the years? We feel that the children that we receive coming into our home are bonuses. So we call them bonus babies. I love that. This is your host, Jane Amelia Larson, and I'm a CASA volunteer, a court-appointed special advocate for youth in foster care. Yeah, I know it's a mouthful. In the same way a CASA works, I explore all things in the foster care maze by talking to kids, parents, caregivers, attorneys, social workers, therapists, anybody and everybody who will speak to me to keep the conversation open and the information flowing about all things CASA. Sometimes stories are really hard to tell, even when it's your own story. I think that's particularly true for my guest today, Ashley Akari Nichols. From an early age, Ashley had a difficult relationship with her mom, and it only got worse. It got dangerous. It was devastating, and it never got any better. It's a hard story to tell, but Ashley does it. Hey, everybody. So I'm here with Ashley Akari Nichols. Hi, Ashley. Thank you for talking to me today. Thank you for having me. It's nice to be here. Oh, good. So how you doing? I'm doing well, um, as best as I can with quarantine. Yeah, we're nearing the end of COVID. Have you gotten your vax yet? No, you're too young. Not yet. Yeah. Okay, it's coming. Mm-hmm. I did the J&J one shot. I'm not advertising it. I just want to get one shot. Ooh, I have so many questions, but that's for after. <laughs> okay. All right. So can you tell me a little bit about how you were raised? What's your, where, where you're from and what's that all about? Sure. Um, I was born in Northern Virginia, the DMV area. DMV stands for DC, Maryland, Virginia. And I pretty much grew up there. So my mother would take me to Southern Virginia to go um, hang out with my grandmother in Southern Virginia, the Norfolk area. And that's really country. So Yeah. But it's really pretty there too, right? I didn't appreciate it because it's okay, so Okay, when slow. you say country, like Hicksville, you mean? Like, like... Yeah, not like country, like scenic, not, not, not like that. It was more like just country, like raw country. So I was, I didn't really appreciate that as much as a kid. And I don't know how I'd feel about it now, but that's how I remember it. Right. And, um, you were separated from your mom when you were 11, right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. So how did that happen? We had been having a hard time. Um, she, she was having a hard time being a mother to me and I wasn't, um, I feel like even right now, it's like, how do I tell this story? Yeah, I'm sure it's hard. And I think it's important for people to hear. So 
If we can figure it out, that would be great. Sure. Yeah. Um, I might tear up, but I'll be okay. It's I'm not, I'm okay. So yeah, I was having trouble in school. I was having trouble at home. I was having trouble with my mother. I had a weird childhood. My mother didn't really have friends. She had like one friend. Um, and then it was like family that was in Southern Virginia. So we were sort of just like isolated. Like I didn't have friends over. I would be invited sometimes or somebody would be like, oh, can I go over to your house? And it was like, no. Um, I just knew like nobody was coming to my house and I wasn't going to anybody else's except for family. And so there was so much tension. And I thought about why recently, why I had so much anger and rage towards her. And she was 40 when she had me. So there was a significant age gap between like the other mothers and like her. In addition to that, I know this is going to probably sound shallow, but she used to make my clothes. And it was like this, like one style, one jumper style dress. And I was such a tomboy and I just felt so strange um like it was wrong for you yeah it didn't fit me and I'm like playing dodgeball and I was in the ditches with the boys because I (laughs) went to private school and like I just I felt weird I was like can I have like store-bought clothes we're not poor we we weren't I grew up middle class so there was things like that going on um also a big big factor for me was that I didn't have a father she wouldn't talk about where my father was never knew his name, never mentioned it. She used to tell me a million different stories. And so when you're going to school with everybody else, and at that time when you're a kid, it's like, you just assume that everybody else's family is like yours as far as like, well, where's your dad? Or like, what's, you know, and I'm just like, I don't know. I wish I knew too. Right. So your mom never told you the truth about who your dad was? No. And she hasn't to this day. You still don't know. Yeah. And so there was I had a lot of that anger because I'm 11 years old. I'm growing as a as a person. Like that's the age where you start to break away from your your mom and your your dad, your parents. And she wanted to keep me young and dependent on her. She didn't want me growing out away from her. And in addition to that, not knowing my father, having issues around that standing out in a weird way because I didn't dress the way other kids did and the fact that she was older and a little outdated as far as like she wasn't on she wasn't on the trends and I just at that age I wanted to fit in badly so I know it's like it sounds you know it sounds shallow and maybe bad but that's how I felt as a kid right and so then you went into respite care yeah so we were fighting all the time, and um, one day she she called the cops on me. I, I guess I'm still continuing this story. Um, yeah, sure. She sure. had called the cops. Like, before that time, she was doing things like, well, I'm not going to cook for you. So I'm like 11, I'm a kid, I don't know how to cook for myself. So anytime that I was trying to have some independence or grow away from her, um, that was met with, well, I'm not going to do anything for you anymore then. So then I'd be, you know, a child and not knowing how to use the stove, not knowing how to cook or take care of myself. So things like that were happening. Um, And so she had called the cops 
And I, they had come to the house. They interviewed her. They interviewed me. I was taken into a cop car and put in handcuffs, and I was at the station. And, yeah, I remember what? that. Yeah, yeah. That is just fucked up. Well, it happened. Um, they weren't They weren't rude or anything to me. I mean, it was just to see the cop car and the lights coming and to have the police at your house and me hiding somewhere, like I was hiding in a window ledge area. and Right, and you were a little 11-year-old girl. Yeah, I was 11. And so... They had done an investigation type thing. They looked, they assessed the situation and said, this is not a good situation. She doesn't need to go back. Honestly, this time in my life was like a whirlwind. So I can't even say if they immediately were like respite, but I know that's when social services got involved and said, this is not just this kid is out of control. It's like this situation is out of control. Right, there's problems at home and that and the kid needs to be protected. Yeah, and so then that that I think is when social services got involved, that's when respite started happening. And that was in the summer, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, the reason why I'm I'm asking is because if if I remember correctly, you went into respite care and it was supposed to be for a short amount of time in order to kind of smooth things out at home, but it ended up being quite a bit longer. I, I don't remember the higher level process of how this all went down. I just know how it felt. So, and I want to know that actually. I want to know because, as you say, it was a, it was a whirlwind. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was really confusing. You must have been hurt and scared and also angry. I mean, honestly, when I think about respite, I just remember. It, in a way, it was more stability. There was it was more stable. Um, I had some respite placements. There was one in particular. I don't remember anybody's name, but I remember there there was two girls, and the oldest girl was really into Sailor Moon and manga and all of that. And so I just remember her shelves and watching Sailor Moon VHS tapes. And I'm sure that I felt also sad because even though I had a very turbulent relationship with my mother, she's somebody who's um, traumatized and probably has her own things going on. Um, I've tried to humanize her a little bit more as I've gotten older, so... Yeah, so then you met Anita when you were 11. She was 22, and you ended up with her for quite a while, right? I did. Um, How do you feel about that? It's complex. Um, it was just really, it was strange because I think I get time mixed up and blended up when I talk about this, because so many things were happening to me, it felt like that I was just taking it all in. I'd have visitations with my biological mother and she would be like, don't you want to come back home? Just tell them that you want to come back home and then you can come home. And in my mind, I'd be like, I don't want to go back to 
the same thing. You think that it's just me. That's the problem. And when I'm not in your care, I'm experiencing like so much more and I don't want to go back. So I just remember feeling conflicted because I didn't want to hurt my mother's feelings. Um, And I loved her. But at the same time, I'm like, this is more stable. That's how I felt about it. I'm sure that was very conflicting because, as you said, she, you loved your mom, but you, you, you even knew then that maybe it wasn't best for you to be living with her, not not best for you. Yeah. Um. So you were really close in age to Anita, actually, right? She was only 22. You were 11. What did that do to your relationship? Well, you know, a 22-year-old or a 30-year-old or 40-year-old to an 11-year-old is kind of He's all old. the same thing. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's just like you're not a teenager, you're a grown-up, but you're not like a grandpa grown-up. So that that's kind of how I experienced it. Yeah. Um, she seemed like, I mean, Anita had more energy. Anita liked to do more things. And this is not to disparage um, any woman who's like an older mother, but that's just like in my particular case, that's how I remember it. And that's how I felt about it. I guess people used to react like, Oh, is that your sister? They would say things like that. And yeah, in some ways it was, it was nice. Cause I felt like Anita was more normalizing than my mother, who was sort of like trying to pull me away from the world and everything else, except for the very few things that she wanted me to experience and understand and know. Right. And so then from ninth grade on, you lived with Anita until you went off to college, right? Yes, that's that's correct. And did you continue to see your mom periodically? Um, I tried to have a relationship with her. Um, I realized that she had not done a lot of inner reflection in the years that had passed and she was still stuck in whatever year, whatever time. And she was telling me things that she probably would need to work out with the therapist. Um, Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And blaming me for things. And I'm like, wait, I was the 11 year old in this situation. Like, just to give you an example, my mother used to like, she used to say things like children should honor their mother and their father. Like if you don't, then you go to hell. It was sort of like that. And so as an 11 year old, that used to weigh on me. But then there's other parts of the Bible that say like, parents don't provoke your children. And she never acknowledged that, never paid attention to that. And so I'm just saying, like, that's the type of person that she was. And so there was no acknowledgement of these are the ways in which I messed up as a mother to you. Or I could have done this differently. Or I was going through this. Or there was no explanation. It was just like, um, Anita's the problem. You're the problem. I can't trust you. Your loyalties are with Anita. And I'm just like... Who talks like this? <laughs> Who's who talks like this? This is not a normal thing. 
this is why you're weird and this is why I have a problem. This is why we can't have a relationship. And so I tried to move forward, but she was very manipulative. And I don't blame her for being the way that she was. But it came to a point where I turned 24 and I was like, I went no contact with her. You don't talk to her at all anymore since you were 24. I haven't. I haven't. But I feel like I'm 30 now. She's 70. I'm older now. I've experienced a lot more. And relationships can be complicated. And maybe I've been thinking about revoking my no contact position with her. Um, Because maybe she's mellowed out some. I don't know. Maybe that's just me being silly, but I've been thinking about that lately. But I haven't spoken to her since I was 24, to answer your question. And do you think that your mom loves you? She would say that she does. Right, but you don't feel with her. But it felt very conditional. Like, if you do exactly as I say, I will love you. But that's not love because... And it's definitely not this sort of like maternal love. I mean, even there's mass murderers whose mothers still visit them. And that's debatable. Like, should um, should mothers be like that or not be like that? But I think that she would say that she loves me. But I have attachment issues around that because her love was very conditional. So I would say no, but she would say yes. And what about Anita? Do you Do you have... A warm relationship with her? It has gone through periods of complicated, complex feelings for different reasons. Anita loves me, and I love Anita. But loving someone and seeing someone are two different things. Explain that to me. What is it you're 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 talking about? To me, being seen is acknowledging like all the parts of someone. And I think you can love someone, but it's a different type of love when you love the harder parts of them that are more difficult to love. So do you feel that Anita's love is conditional too? No. Right. Okay. And, and if you remember, she's not she's not listening to this. I think she made an agreement with you, right? That you you don't listen to hers and she doesn't listen to yours. I mean, I said I, I said that. I said that I wasn't gonna listen to hers. Because I wanted her to to say her part. I know that she loves me. But I guess the things that I have been struggling with, we talk about this in the adoption community, um, which I'm also a part of. But when you give birth to somebody, you have that biological genetic tie, that sort of understanding, that connection. And... I had that before with my mother, even though she was weird, even though she was traumatized and took it out on me and took it out on those around her. There was still that that was there. And I think that it could just be me projecting like abandonment issues. But I feel like that that is something that um, I'm not really sure exists in my relationship with Anita because that wasn't there. This is something that I would like to speak to her about one day because she has her biological son. Um, yeah. And her mothering. She's gotten older. She, I was 11. She was 22. She's a woman of a certain age now, and she has her son. So she's older, and they're 
biologically related. So I think her mothering looks different. This is not me being jealous or anything, but it's an acknowledgement. Um, so it's different. So she yeah. loved me. Yeah. It's not conditional, but there is something that foster care and adoption does to those sorts of relationships. Yeah, I, I actually totally get that. Uh, I know it's hard to talk about or to express exactly right, but I think I understand what you mean. And I think probably our listeners will too. Um, even if you have a close and, and warm relationship with, with her and want to maintain that, it doesn't mean it's like a biological love that you have with someone who birthed you. Yeah. I mean, all these little quirky things like, you know, I'm more of a, a weird sort of artist, artsy type person. Um, I see her son sort of does things that Anita's father kind of does. Those are the things that you don't have to explain that are just sort of gotten. And I don't have that with um, the rest of my adoptive family. Right. And you're close to Anita's parents and her extended family, right? Yes. Yes. They've mm -hmm. accepted me. I'm their family. And you don't have any other siblings from your mom? Not from my mom, no. And I don't know if I have any on my father's side, but my I was my mother's only child. Have you tried to find your dad yourself? I have, but I don't really have much to work with. This was something that came up in court because when you're in foster care, they want to know all your business. So they asked my mother, like, who's Ashley's father? She wouldn't answer. The judge was like, do you want to be held in contempt of court and go to jail? She was like, I'm not telling. So that's the type of person that my mother, my biological mother is like, when she doesn't want somebody to know something, she's not going to give up that information. And she's very secretive. Um... And unfortunately, as a female XX chromosomal person, if I try to do DNA, it, I can't do it. And I don't have any male siblings to try to find that connection. So it's with her. So will you tell me about that judge? Because you mentioned that judge to me, that you had one judge your your whole time, right? I did, yeah. Um Judge Carr, she was very, very nice to me, but the adults who were around me would be very, very tense. They know, she's like, she didn't, she did not play. She's like, she was very serious about her job. And um, she expected people to go into that courtroom and know what they're talking about and to take it seriously. But she was very, very sweet to me. Very nice. And I actually, sp I spoke to her as an adult. And she remembered me, and it was it was nice catching up with her. It was just one time, but yeah. And you also had a guardian ad litem, which we call Casa in California. Can you tell me about about her? Sure. Um, her first name is Jackie, and she reminded me of. I don't know if you've ever experienced this as a kid, but having a relative that doesn't really understand like children's ages or like what kids are into at the time. So she would get my age off sometimes. In her court report or when she was talking to you? or did... Yeah, when she was speaking to me. Huh. Yeah. 
And I always felt like she didn't really understand what was... Like, she didn't really know me, but I guess she knew enough on paper because then she would go in court and it would be fine. Uh, That's very curious because I would think that her most important job was to know you and not, of course, what a casa or a guardian does is a lot behind the scenes. We are talking to people who are in your life. We're talking to your doctors, to your teachers, to, you know, to everybody. But ideally, we also know who you are. Um, that seems strange to me. And I, I'm sure that you probably recollect that pretty well, because if you had her for five or six or more years, right, you, you didn't have her for one year. Yeah, no, I had her for a while. And I think she was good at her job. I think she probably had a a full caseload. So can you tell me a little bit about who you are now? Like, uh, what do you do? How do you live? Are you are you wanting your own family? Hmm. We're living in a crazy world right now. Yeah, it's hard to even think about that, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's too fair right, right now to bring somebody here against their will. But yeah, I've been thinking about it recently. Um, I've been thinking about what I would want my motherhood to look like. But before that, there are things that I need to work out because I don't want to continue this generational trauma that has been occurring in my family. Even though I wasn't speaking to my mother a couple of years ago, and I'm still not, I have been having conversations with some of my cousins here and there. And one of them, I found out, had her kids removed from her custody. So I'm like, okay, there's a pattern of this. And um, for me, there's, like, shame around that because I'm like, come on now. Like, you can't keep your kids? Like, what's going on? Um, But maybe that's me just not understanding what's going on with... Maybe I could be more compassionate about that. But at the same time, I see that it's a problem and I don't want to perpetuate that. So there are things that I need to do before I even think about becoming a mother or starting a family. But besides that, uh, I work in marketing and I went to college and I studied the arts and writing. So I'm a creative person. I like to make art. Um, I have a, I can't tell you like, oh, I specialize in like oil because I just go and kind of like deal with this a little bit, deal with this a little bit. So that's, that's what I'm doing now. Um, and yeah, I'm living in New York and I'm, I'm looking to move to another state, but yeah, I'm doing pretty good otherwise. (laughs) You know, when I, when I hear you talking, I hear that you're kind of hard on yourself. Do you feel that way? I do. I do. Why are you hard on yourself, you think? I think that... um, I think that I have had... I've been around people... As it, when I was a child, I was around people who um, 
were critical, very critical of me. Um, and that's why I mentioned the importance of being seen as a child and what that meant to me. Um, and also another thing is, is that the, the word that keeps popping up into my head right now is like ignorance, ignorance. And I think that I had to grow up pretty fast. I couldn't really afford to not know things and to be ignorant. And so I had to learn. I had to get things right the first time or the second time. I felt like that's what I had to do in situations. And so if something bad happens, it's like you should like you should have known. And that that pops into my head. So Right, because you kind of had to be your own adult. Yeah, I had to advocate for myself because there would be adults that say like, yeah, you know, this is for your good. But was it? Maybe, maybe not. Who can I trust? My mother is saying that my therapist is not a healthy person or that Anita is a is a terrible person. And I I would have conversations with my mother and be like, you need to be thanking her. You might not like that I was taken from from you, but you need to be thanking her. Or at least don't say anything. Or don't put me in that weird position. I'm not going to talk negatively about Anita, even though my relationship with her wasn't 100% perfect. Neither was my relationship with my mother. So... How do you feel when you're doing creative stuff? Do you... Do you feel freer? Is that why you love it? I feel like it's a way for me to just express myself and speak without having to use words. And it's something that I am naturally good at. And it's a way for me to communicate and connect with other people. It's nice when I'm not battling against my artwork. And sometimes that happens where it's like you're fighting through a piece. But it's it's nice when it's in the flow and it. Those moments are nice. So yeah, there's, there's nothing like flow, right? Mm -hmm. It just feels it feels so good. Yeah, it, it really does. Even if yeah. it's not like a masterpiece or nothing comes out of it, that that time of like feeling weightless is really nice. Right. So, what would you do, like, if you had your dream opportunity? What would that look like? Do you think? Um. Find out that I have a really rich uncle who wants to give me a bunch of money <laughs> <laughs> and inheritance or something. And I'm like, wow, thank you. Okay, I'm going to buy a place and make art and maybe start a business and not have to, like, stress out too much. That's what I would like. Um, I just really like the arts. But I, I mean, marketing is okay, but honestly, if I could just make art and relax, that's what I would do. Start a business. I know that probably seems like, I mean, and I, I freelanced before and that was no walk in the park. Um, starting a business is really, really hard, but I think it's more rewarding to be doing something that you want to do and that you see the vision for than um, working for somebody else and making their vision come true. 
And what would you say to your 11-year-old self if you, if you could? If you could be the adult to your 11-year-old self, what would you say? It's not your fault. I wrestled with a lot of guilt as if I was the only person who... Um, I had the least control in that entire situation. And according to my mother, it's like, all you had to do was tell them that you want to come home. And you will. That's how she felt about it. Um, and so I'd say, like, it's it's not your fault. Continue to follow what you love. Follow the things that bring you joy. Um, yeah, keep going. You're strong, crazy strong. That's really nice. So can you tell me now what one thing or things would someone not ever know about you unless you told them? Who? Well, some of them I mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> that happens in a podcast, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, hmm. That's hard. That's hard to answer. Um, this is going to sound boring, but I recently took up hula hooping. <laughs> <laughs> that is so not boring. <laughs> I like That's it. Aw- that is awesome. <laughs> yeah, I like uh, it. It's really good exercise, right? Um, it's not a way to hula hoop and I'm still learning. So I'm learning the ropes, but eventually when I get like further along, I'll be able to do tricks and I'll be very, um, I'll be very active. (laughs) You're going to start competing. (laughs) I mean, I don't know if there's competing, but like there definitely is a community and, um, I'm, I, I always like trying new things. I always like, I like being a little bit of the underdog. And then overcoming something. I've sort of had to do that. Um, Right. So you had to do that as a child and you've continued to do that as an adult as a way to help yourself grow. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I, I, that's why I, I find it hard to just stick to one thing. Um, I prefer to be like a jack of all trades versus just, And nothing is wrong with, like, sticking to one thing and getting really good at it. We need all types of people. But I'm the type of person that's like, I haven't tried that. I think I want to try that. Like, why does that have to stop when you're a child? Like, okay, I'm 12. I'm 15. I can't can't learn anything new. I can't try anything new. I've never liked that way of being, so. Yeah, I don't like that either. I'm, I'm hoping I continue to learn and grow. Uh, my mom is is ninety two. I think I mentioned that I saw her just recently for the first time in over like thirteen months. My mom is constantly learning, constantly growing. She's constantly doing things that are different and new. And I know that's part of what has kept her be sharp and cool and uh, get her. She's working on her mind all the time, and it's helped her mind and her body. Definitely, it's like why stop. I yeah why, why 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 stop the whole point I think of being a human being is trying new things and you know we experience things here and then we take it back to source so I think of sort of like you know if you look at an anthill like all the ants are going into the anthill they're they're going out they're getting little scraps of food 
and then they bring it back to the hive, not the hive, the where whatever you call it, ant home, uh, ant farm, the farm, I I don't know. <laughs> the farm, <laughs> the farm, and then they keep doing that. So I, you know, I think that's how we are on this earth. We're taking experiences and and bringing it to source, and then coming back and then doing that. And so we don't anymore. I really like that. I, I like that image. Listen, thanks a lot for talking to me. Thank you for asking me and letting me share my story, or at least a piece of it. Thank you so much. So Ashley continues to do new things, to try new things, to learn new things. She continues to grow, and she's entering graduate school soon. She's just crazy, crazy strong. She's the champion underdog. If you see something, say something. If you suspect that a child's health or safety is jeopardized in any way by parents or anyone else, contact the Child Protective Services Agency in your county. 24-hour hotlines are staffed by trained social workers who will help you through the process, and you can do so anonymously. In California, you can call the Child Protection Hotline at 800-540-4000. So if you see something, say something you might be saving a child's life. I want to thank the supremely talented Christina Apostolopoulos for her beautiful music, Eferisto. To hear more of her music, go to Spotify and Instagram at Christina Apostol. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-A-A-P-O-S-T-O. I know you want to. Her stuff is really great. And thanks to my audio producer extraordinaire, Marcos Campito. I'm glad I found you. Thanks for listening, and if you like what you hear, please rate us and hit subscribe. <laughs>